that a lot because I don't want to hurt her. okay on the outside so what you're doing is wrong and the way you want to live your life is wrong and i go up there and trust ourselves know what we're going to say and there are rules that we're following gods of queens we know it so comedians exposed a podcast where comedians talk about vulnerability with your host deanna kobe on Comedians Exposed, we are welcoming one of your two favorite aunts. This person is a key mover and shaker in the New Jersey comedy scene. They are a comedian, an actor, an improviser, a teacher, a producer. This person is co-founder of Jester Comedy Company. In addition, they helped co-produce the Garden State Comedy Festival. We are so excited to welcome Angelique as today's guest on Comedians Exposed. Welcome! Hello! Hello, friends! Hello, listeners! Hello! Hello! We're so happy to have you here! I'm happy to be here, yes! Great. Well, I wanted to start talking right off the bat about Gail and Angela. They're hilarious. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, I would love to. I'd love to. So I am an improviser and I'm also an improv educator, which means I teach other people how to do it. And my partner and I, Kate Nichols, we accidentally kind of fell on these two people. She was producing a show and she wanted to make fun of her aunt who is from Staten Island, or I'm sorry, she's from Long Island and she's very Italian, you know. Um, And she was like, Angelique, will you come on stage and do something with me as well? And I said, well, I just bought a new wig and it looks like an old lady wig. And the name of the wig is Gail. So (laughs) I'll put on the wig, call me Gail. And, you know, you're going to be your aunt. So I'll just do an impersonation of my mother. And that is how (laughs) the aunts were born. Everything that Gail says and the way that Gail acts is exactly who my mother is. So her friends will see who I am on stage and they'll be like, oh, my God, Michelle, that's you. She's got you down. Oh, my God. And it's, you know, the God forbid and the pocketbook and that that shawl is hers. You know, the outfit that Gail's with, that's hers. Um, you know, and the mispronunciation of words, that's all my mother. It is completely my mother. And very relatable. If you're from like New York or New Jersey, you're going to have an Aunt Gail or an Aunt Angela, or you're going to know your friends are going to have one. You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? Like they're so part of our like Northeastern fabric. Absolutely. They absolutely are. (laughs) So your mom was the inspiration more so for you, for Gail? Yeah, it's, it's simply an impersonation of my mom and Kate and I are improvisers and um, we actually were on a team together years ago and um, we always partnered up even then because we worked really well together. And the key to being an improviser is to not only be able to trust yourself enough to speak right away, but it's also listening. It's all about listening. So we have a conversation. It, what it looks like, we're just having a conversation and you would think that this is all, you know, an act that we've rehearsed and whatnot, but 
it's all off the cuff and we're doing it all right then and there. Two shows are never, ever, ever the same. Um, and while we're being these two old ladies, we're listening to each other, taking cues from each other. And, you know, it works out really well because Kate is just so incredible at improv. And basically when I'm on that stage with her, I'm there as an audience member. I may be in a wig and a shawl and talking with an accent, but I'm there as an audience member watching and waiting for Kate to do something to make me laugh. And, you know, I'm sure if anybody who's seen the show or seen videos of our show, when I break, that shit is real. <laughs> it's very real. You guys have such awesome energy, the way you feed off of each other. And so it's none of it is completely unscripted then. Completely. Wow. Completely. My anxiety just like went up to like go up on the microphone with nothing is like to me a very terrifying feeling. So how do you guys prepare for that? Well, what we do is we'll we'll talk about where we will you know, we'll discuss where we are, where we're going. You know what I mean? Um, we did a show at the Stonewall Inn. So obviously we know five things that are true about the Stonewall Inn. We're in New York City. We're going to be heavy in the gay community. And what the weather is going to be like, who's going to be in the audience, what the other performers are doing. And we basically take all that in and then spit out something magnificent. <laughs> so there are characteristics of Gail and Angela that are always true, that are always going to be true. Gail is a horny old woman whose husband died 50 years ago. So she always tries to hit on somebody in the audience. So I'm always making these really filthy, dirty jokes about my <laughs> vagina and how I want to have sex with everybody in the audience. And when we were at the Stonewall Inn, so obviously we're in that place and this is heavy in the gay community, many drag queens, many, um, you know, uh, gay males, gay females, uh, transgendered men, transgendered women, they, them. I see a male in the audience and I start to hit on him and I start to, you know, say like, I want to have sex with him. And then Kate takes that cue, Gail, Gail, you're barking up the wrong tree, Gail. You, you know, you know, you don't understand. Like, she understood, well, Angela understood that this man would not be interested in me, but Gail didn't understand that. So it, the audience sees Angela explaining to Gail that this man does not want anything to do with you because he is a gay man and you are obviously a 60-year-old woman. So the, the rules of where we are always apply. So that's how we kind of prep for it. Is it nerve-wracking though before? I mean, we get the we get the performance jitters just like anybody does, but I know that Kate has my back. I know that anything that I do, she'll turn it into something hilarious. And she knows that anything she does, I will turn into something hilarious. So with the the nerves that you get with just imagine imagining going on stage with no material, we don't feel that at all. Mm -hmm. Not in the littlest way. <laughs> So how do you think that just stems from your relationship that you have knowing Kate as well as a partner? Absolutely. 110%. And we both know improv through and through. So we know how to go up there, trust ourselves, know what we're going to say. And there are rules that we're following while we're on stage. So yeah. you, it looks like we're just doing it. We are, but we aren't at the same time. 
Wow. If that makes any sense to you. No, I mean, <laughs> it's the art, I, to me, it shows the um, level of what a great improvise, improviser that improvisers you both are. I want to know, though, what are some of the, the benefits of being on a comedy duo? But then what are some of the challenges as well? The challenges that we run into, I'll start with that first. The challenges that we run into is they they try to use our real names as opposed to our character names. There's that, you know, I, I'm very lucky to have the partner that I do because we are both 50, 50 in the relationship. So, you know, if, if somebody approaches her and says, Hey, I want you to whatever, whatever it's paid. I I trust her enough to come to me and be like, this is what we're doing. Are you free? Whatever, whatever. So we work really well in that kind of air, um, a challenge. Ah, I mean, other than that, I, I trust her completely. And she trusts me completely. So I, I know that they'll never take, she'll never take Angela and go on the road and make thousands and millions of dollars. And you know what I mean? Angela doesn't work without Gail. Gail doesn't work without Angela. You know, she actually, she's going to beat me up for saying this, but she had a nightmare that I replaced her. I replaced Angela. And I said, well, Kate, I, that makes me feel very loved. <laughs> that you love me so much that you had a nightmare that I replaced you. So there's there's that. I I mean, there, there's really no challenges that I can see. Uh, obviously, COVID, it sucks because I can't really do Gail alone. You know, I need Angela. I can't, it just does not work alone. You guys have um, done some videos I saw on Instagram, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Have you guys thought about branching out and doing like a series of Gail and Angela? Yes, we have. We actually have it in the works right now. Oh, yeah. So, Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray. So, yeah, so when you're working with another person, obviously, you know, um, and in the time of COVID, there are those kind of challenges where we can't really be together in the same room. So we have to put a little more effort into our editing and our recording and stuff like that. But I would say the benefits of it is, uh, the benefits of having a comedy partner is that I can be ready for a show as soon as I can get there because I trust Kate enough and I know Kate trusts me enough. So it's like, we're ready for a show. You want us on a show? The gig is $100? Okay, we'll be there. No problem. So that's definitely a benefit as well. I wanted to talk about too because, um, and I wonder if this comes from improvising because I've always thought that you have such a good business savvy this about you when it comes to comedy I wanted to talk to you about Jester and like where did that come from that also was an accident as well um that was I was looking for an office space outside of my home because I was living in a two-bedroom apartment I have three kids and I needed a quiet place to work to do my comedy work to do my production work and you know all the extra stuff that I have to do that's not within my nine-to-five job area So I posted on Facebook, hey, does anybody have an idea of where I can get a small office for about 500 bucks a month? You know, me and Franco are looking just for a quiet office space, just for, you know, when we can't do what we need to do at home, we have a space. And a friend of ours reached out to us and said, hey, listen, I own this building. Uh, I don't really have anything to do with this particular space. You guys could have it. 
Um, you could use it for whatever you want, do whatever you want to do. And yeah, have at it. So the friend gave us a huge break and did us a huge favor. And we were very lucky to have what we had for so little money. Our, our rent was $500 a month and it was affordable and we were able to do it. We did kind of, uh, we encountered some hurdles, uh, but we we did great while we had the space. So um, but the way it was just, a great space. So awesome. Thank you. Thank you. It, we were very lucky. Uh, but the way Jester came about was a friend of ours, Ibrahim Khalif, was doing a benefit show for a shelter for um, women that were um, it was like a safe space for women that were in abusive relationships and victims of domestic violence. And he did a comedy show at Scotty's. And I was like, hey what if there was just a company that just did that for comedy benefits and nonprofit organizations? What if there was just something like that? And Franco came up with the name Jester and it was born just like that. So what about some of the challenges that you had? So I would say some of the challenges that we ran into were some other business owners were afraid that Jester was going to cut into their business. But that wasn't true. And once some other business owners kind of knew what we were about, they stopped worrying about us so much. A lot of the he said, she said stuff kind of got in the way. And... It was unfortunate, but you just got to be a better, bigger person because at the end of the day, the, the people that gossip don't pay your bills and aren't trying to get you a, a state license and a township certificate of occupancy. So whatever. Um, <laughs> but that was that was an unfortunate situation that we encountered. Um, but thankfully, people prove themselves to either be grown-ups or not and no. I don't have to associate with people that aren't grown-ups and I know that now so it's a good thing it is a good <laughs> thing it's also a weird thing though because it's like thinking about it one if it's solely an art form and if people are just solely going in for just creating I could understand mm -hmm. the emotional like the over emotional reaction but a lot of people go into you know this as not only an art but also as a business so it's like, y'all, like, what? why are we getting so emotional if you want it as a business? Like, let's figure this out. So it's <laughs> weird. It's weird how the lines get so blurry. It is. And there are a couple of comedy clubs in New Jersey that are, are kind of well known for being really shitty. One, <laughs> I don't want to name names. Um, but there's <laughs> one that has their comedy situation on the second floor of this great bar and restaurant. Lots of traffic, lots of fun stuff. And a comedian that would run the Friday, Saturday shows got an opportunity at another bar. And this comedy club said, don't do any, don't do that. It's too close to where we are when it was like 15, 20 minutes away. And like, why wouldn't you want somebody that, you know, has has been with you for years and years and years to be able to make more money doing what they love. I mean, you have somebody that's a good producer. They're going to produce at your club. They're going to produce somewhere else. And that's okay. Yeah. This territorial stuff. I mean, you're not, it's not the mob, dude. 
it, it's not you're not a drug lord like right. calm down your dick is big i'm sure please <laughs> please that was one of the things though i actually wanted to talk to you about because when one of the first times i met you you came across as so genuinely supportive and I appreciated that so much because, you know, no, seriously, like, I, like that was like, literally it was so perfect that you segued. Cause that was like one of the next questions I was going to ask you, but I'm like, I was like, this person really like you legitimately made me feel supported and encouraged. And it was something that was, I hadn't really encountered that frequently. So it was like, I just, I don't know. I held this very special place in my heart because you are, you're really supportive of people. And I feel like that's not common sometimes in this arena. What do you think? Do you have similar experiences? Am I emotional sap? (laughs) I am. I just want to say how, how kind that was. Thank you so much for saying that. I appreciate that so much. I feel like, oh my God. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Oh, thank you. Um, okay. So, so I, here, I'm just going to let it out. You see how things work well when a woman is in charge. I mean, you just see, you see. Yeah. <laughs> so are you um, 24 tuts? Can we get you on the ticket, please? <laughs> um, I just, I, I, okay, so we're all here for a reason, and that reason is to make people laugh. I love to bring joy. I love to bring joy. I love watching somebody in the audience go from a flat face to laughter to water coming out of their nose. I bring joy. That is my purpose. My purpose is to bring joy, whether it's on stage or whether I'm, I'm online at Target and the cashier is having a bad day. And there was a shitty person in front of me and I can turn that emotion around. And I know that that is my duty. That is my will. And that is my absolute purpose. My purpose is to bring joy. End of story, bottom line. And we are fucking funny people. We are comedians. We want to bring joy. Why? Why would you want to stop somebody else from bringing joy? Why? Why do you want to put hurdles in their way? why? Yes, it can be difficult to watch your friends play on the night, the the late show. You know what I mean? Yes, it can be difficult to watch all of your friends have more success than you, but you have to be strong enough and you have to be emotionally mature enough to know that that's just the nature of the fucking business. And if you have somebody in front of you that is feeling nervous or feeling insecure or feeling shitty about themselves and they're about to go on stage and you don't give them the encouragement that they need to go knock it out of the fucking park. You have failed the whole fucking show and you have failed that audience member who paid money to sit there and get some fucking joy and get some fucking laughs and not think about their dad that's in the hospital dying of fucking cancer. Not think about that they don't have enough money to pay their mortgage. You have a responsibility as a funny person to stop being such a fucking asshole and know that even though you're on that stage and it is all about you in that moment, it's not about you. It's about the people in those chairs and it's, it's about them. And that's who you have to work for. So if you have another comedian that you're going to try and walk all over, take advantage of, they're doing the same thing that you are. You're going to be a shitty gossip queen 
And that does not apply to my female comics. I'm talking about my my cis male comics. You're gossip queens. We know it. Stop. <laughs> how did you how did you find your purpose? <laughs> you really want to know? Yes, of course. <laughs> okay. All right. So I was about eight or nine years old. Okay. Okay. And I was in the backseat of my grandparents' car with my mom and my aunt, okay? So my grandpa was driving. It was like a, a probably like a 1990 sedan, okay? Think about it. That's huge. My grandpa's driving. My grandma's in the front seat. My mother's sister, my aunt Carla, is next to me. And my mom is next to me. I'm in the middle. <clears throat> my aunt lives in Florida. And she came to visit in New Jersey and we're driving by this area where she used to hang out. And she was like, oh my God, back in 74, that used to be this club I went to all the time. And my mom was like, yeah, they tore it down. Blah, 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 blah. And my grandpa goes to 1974, Angelique, that was a long time ago. My mother says, oh, that was before you were even thought of. I was born in 1983. Oh, that was before you were even thought of. And my grandma goes, Angelique, what were you doing in 1974? And I, without missing a beat, I said, swimming in a gene pool. And <laughs> cute, right? I was like, well, it's 1990. So I was born in 83. So how old was I? I was seven. I was seven, right? Yeah. So um, my grandma, my grandpa, my aunt, my mother, they erupted with laughter. They erupted with laughter. And that gave me a sense of like, I controlled everybody in that area for that small moment. Like I was, you know, wow, I turned this whole car right around. I did that. Um, and it also like, I noticed that that, that was my first laugh. That was my real first laugh. So I would always try to make people laugh as a kid, my teachers, whatever, what, like in my reports, I would always have the, the sense of humor and I would always wear it on my sleeve. So that's how I, you know, I knew that this is what I need to do. This is what I enjoy doing. And, you know, I got to do it. And also I'm an only child. So I like all attention on me, <laughs> maybe a little bit of a narcissist. So pay attention to me. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm honest. You think of yourself as an extrovert or an introvert? Extrovert. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. I could talk to anybody. Franco says all the time. He's like, we go somewhere and you're friends with somebody immediately. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, no. So for you, it seems like comedy has been like, really, like you said, just making people laugh and really about spreading joy. So what about, has there ever been times for you with comedy where it was the opposite in terms of where like just, I'm going to use again, I'm comparing just to my experience. So this is where this question comes from. Sometimes I'll write for the sake of wanting to get something out. Like it's soul is very selfish of me. No, this is about me. This is my mic right now. And I get, but then it's like people want to slap me. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think there needs to be both of those things. I think you need equal parts and equal understanding of both of those things. Because if I didn't want it to be about me, I would be in the corner and I would be very quiet, very passive if I didn't want it to be about me. Instead, I am on a stage. 
and I am making sure I have everybody's full attention. So yes, it needs to be about you too. Um, the selfishness, a positive selfishness that you kind of need because you need to have that confidence to get up on stage and to dare think that anybody wants to listen to what you have to say. That's essential. You need to know that what you have to say is important and they better listen. Do you feel like so, all comedy, like, cause comedy too, confidence is, um, I don't think it's organic for everyone. No, it's not. And, and funny people usually tend to be the most damaged and the most sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I've heard from a therapist that there is actually a higher rate of suicide per comedians than any other occupation that's including, you know, um, our first responders who see mm-hmm. some really awful shit sometimes, you know what I mean? Wow. Um, comedians are sad people, generally speaking, if I'm sweet speaking in a sweeping generalization, yeah, general, of course. Yeah. Yeah. We're very sad people because we we've had to use our comedy to deflect from what the real problem is. And, um, I've been to therapy where I've, you know, I have to say to my therapist, listen, if I start to make you laugh, stop me when you're laughing. Cause I will keep working. I will keep doing it. So I don't have to deal with the problem. I don't have to talk about what is hurting me. What, what it's giving me anxiety. Yeah. I can just make you laugh with my wit and my charm. Right. But that's not really going to help me. Is it? So comedy is such a coping mechanism and it's, I mean, it's necessary. Like I feel again, for humans to survive, we need comedy. There's no, there's no way evolutionary. We would be a species of where we're at right now if we didn't have comedy. So what about for you? What are some of the things that you use comedy to deflect from? You can speak generally again. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. I have some issues with anxiety and I was living in a way some years ago that I didn't really want to live in. And I, (laughs) my anxiety kind of manifested itself where I was afraid to drive. I was afraid to eat food. I was only eating like a like a couple of things. And then I maintained this personality where everything's okay. Everything is fine. I, you know, it was a, it was like a secret. You know what I mean? Um, And nobody really knew that I was suffering in such a way, except for like my mom, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I would still use my comp, like my, my funny bone, let me Mm -hmm. say not actually comedy, but I would use my funny bone. And when I finally came out with how I was unhappy with the way I was living, people were very surprised Mm -hmm. and they were, like, we had no idea that you felt this. Oh, my God. And then that turned into, uh, because of the situation, it turned into everything looked okay on the outside. So what you're doing is wrong. And the way you want to live your life is wrong. And I lost a lot of people that I thought were family. Um, I lost people that were very dear to me, friends. And there was a, a, a very big period of uh, loneliness and isolation. But you kind of took a layer off and were like, 
more authentic with yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially like, I feel like that to me is w- one thing I love about comedy is this drive towards authenticity. And mm-hmm. myself, I also, I've had anxiety and it's so like, I could tell you so many stories about all my little weird, anxious quirks, you know, and you're like, <laughs> oh, damn, I'm shocked. You have anxiety. You seem like so put together. I know. But anxiety, right, is something that is horrible. But when you can shed that off and like that strength that you have. You know what I mean? Like how your friends, you had the strength to be more true to yourself and the people you were keeping them comfortable and like how you basically kind of hid yourself from all your family, your community, right? And all these people in your life. And then when you were yourself, you, it was like their needs couldn't be met by you anymore because you were taking care of yourself, which is such a, I think that's really what we need to strive for in life. I feel Mm -hmm. like yeah, people, you know, I feel like that's kind of what's going on today. We're really disconnected from each other collectively because we look outward and out inward. Mm-hmm. And that takes a huge level of strength to have done that. Yes, it sure did. It wow. sure fucking did. So how would you say then being able to have this in your life has impacted you? The people I've met and there is a kind of magic that happens after a show and your heart is buzzing and your soul is sparkling and you know the people that were on the show with you they get to share in this enormous moment of magic and that's the only way that I can describe it and there is nothing that I'd rather be doing than creating magic is there anything that you won't talk about in your performing. Yes. Um, so this is originally the reason why I wanted to be on the show. Um, talking about being vulnerable and talking about um, comedians being vulnerable. I cannot go on the stage and be myself. I can. I know what good stand-up is. I can probably write it pretty well. I would probably do okay. I would probably be good as Angelique. Stand-up, whatever. Um who am I kidding? I could write it for sure. I'd be amazing, but I cannot, I cannot go on stage and be myself. I have to be somebody else. I have to have like a character in my head. Mm -hmm. I have to have another person. It has to be Gail. It has to be, um, you know, an, an 18th century farmer. It has to be an English woman. It has to be a police officer from, Georgia it has to be like I have to have a character in order to be my complete self on stage that makes sense if you could unwrap that for me that's exactly (laughs) I want to know like why okay because you're saying it has to be so you're saying all of these have to be above Angelique so why why can it be Angelique why does I don't, it have to be? Why does it have to be somebody else? Why can't I be me on stage? I'm amazing. You're very amazing. Absolutely. But I just feel range, like. Like, again, looking at the fact that you're a comedian, you're an actor, you're an improviser. You have obviously all these different tools of range. And in my opinion, I find people who are doing comedy, who have these other outlets, like the way they bring these beautiful ways to express on stage is amazing. So why not? I just, 
I feel like I would have nothing to say. I feel like I, yeah, imagine that as a stand-up performer. I just feel like I, it doesn't work for me. The, the, the wires don't connect. I just, I have to, I can write as another person Mm -hmm. very well. I can perform as another person, whether I have lines or not very well. Um, you know, I know what the character's objective is. I know what they want. I know what their urgent need is. But as far as me on stage, just being me, it's just like this, it's this sound that it's that nothing I have nothing you know well, can I just ask something because this is so interesting because you're talking about how like as a character you can create an objective you know what they're going to say you and then you mentioned early on when you shared the story about your how what first when you realize that point of making people laugh that beautiful power there's this right now I want to use the word the c word this idea of control So would you, do you see a pattern at all of, or wanting to be able to control? (laughs) Is that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Yes, Deanna, I do see a pattern of control (laughs) just now in this very moment. I'm having a personal breakthrough. <laughs> oh my god. Are you gonna make me pay for this session when oh we're done? God. Oh my god, do you want my insurance? Oh my god. This is, listen to me. I, like especially too, because like this podcast is very vulnerable for me. So my anxiety level is through the roof, you know, because I'm like, I don't wanna. I like to ask these questions that I want to make sure I'm making you feel comfortable, but this is where my brain works. And I'm, you know, I'm like, I just, it's so interesting to me. That's just what's like kind of popping out. Is there this idea that you won't be able to control the audience of how they're going to respond to Angelique? Yeah, that sounds about fucking right. And because if I you know- also said you love comedy, how comedy can make people's day brighter. Like you'll be online at a store and you'll make friends with people. So is this this idea of maybe wanting to be included? Is it a, a fear of rejection? It won't hurt as bad if I'm somebody else on stage and they don't like it. It would hurt more if I'm me on stage and they don't like it. So what does it mean when someone doesn't like you? What does that feel like for you? In that area, like if I'm on stage and they don't like me and I'm failing and I'm doing poorly, I don't think it feels very good. I think it, I don't like to be vulnerable. I don't like to be, yeah, I don't like to not have control. What about in real life if someone doesn't like you? How does that feel? In real life, if somebody doesn't like me, I'm totally okay with it. Yeah. Because I know that it's, it's probably like on a, like, you don't like me. I like me fine. Whatever. Mm-hmm. You don't have to like me. You know what I mean? I, I don't have this need for approval, but maybe if, if, there, if it's like, if it's like a strength in numbers situation, if an entire room full of people don't like me, that is probably. Mm, I'm going to have to, re- this is going to have to resonate with me a little bit more. Somebody doesn't like me and I could give a fuck. I could give a shit. Do you not like that person as well? Yeah. So what about that, that power dynamic of 
because now you can also not equally like someone back with an audience. You can't know a whole room full of people. So, you know, and as comedians and, you know, people who want to, you know, go up on stage and perform, you don't want to necessarily blame a whole audience. You know what I mean? So it becomes more the power dynamic that is off balance. What about someone you like that doesn't like you? in real life. Has that ever happened to you? Someone I want to like me and then I will do everything in my power to be nice. You know, um, situations where it's important that this person likes me. I'll, I'll be honest. My, my kid's dad, mm-hmm. his girlfriend, I want to be like, I want her to like me. I have a, a big need for her to like me because I think there is this, you know, we we're raising children together, you yeah. know, I am not going, I put my pride aside and you know, a lot of people can't do that. Does that um, change how you act when you're um, like trying, like in a situation like that, does it alter, does that alter your natural self? Your most It does. Self? It does because I'm incredibly aware and I'm very like, when we, it's taken years for all the gross stuff of divorce to go away and get to this really great place where we're at now where, you know, she'll come pick up the kids and we'll smoke a cigarette together and bullshit about the kids and her son that she shares with my kid's dad. I love that little boy, you know, and we'll play and we'll giggle and stuff like that. But I am, and I've noticed this too. I won't, make jokes with her. I won't make joke. Like if I'll do it with a stranger, like in target and I'll, you know, I have my, my things I'm going to say and, and they roll off my tongue. But in the relationship with her, I, I hold back a lot because I don't want to hurt her feelings in any way. I don't want to say the wrong thing that she could take a, a certain way. And, you know, I'm, I'm very just, I'm very, not me completely, but she mm-hmm. just gets all the, you know. It seems interesting because I feel like she's kind of like, there's a connection to the idea of like how you going up on stage, right? And this idea of rejection and utilizing her, how you temper, like you control your sense of humor, you control your most authentic self when you're around her because of this other, you know, need that you have. Like you need, there's a need, a greater need for your family and for peace. So it's so so curious, again, going back to performing, like, what would it look like just having Angelique? Like, if I said, like, tomorrow, I'm like, okay, I'm booking you, and I just want you on stage, just you, Angelique, what are the feelings you would feel in your stomach? Immediately, I would tell you that I couldn't do it. And I would, um, and then I would, I would tell you yes, and then have come up with a character in 24 hours, and then perform as that character. I mean, like, again, I love the range. So like I said, it's so (laughs) You know, like as it is, it's character not easy to do at all. Improvis- like, improvising is so hard. You know what I mean? So it's like obviously, like having all of these other ranges. It's just so interesting to keep coming back to, like, you know, this idea of again, what makes you feel vulnerable? What makes you feel exposed? And I feel like that's kind of like where we tapped into this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel very exposed. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) What about then? So as you continue on this artistic journey, what are you hoping for? I am hoping for, 
I want to have an impact on people. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to, <laughs> I want to be able to just do this. Like, I want to be able to not have to like have a nine to five. You know, I want this to be my nine to five. I want this to be it, you know? Um, And I want to be able to teach kids how to do this and how to express who they are and how to express themselves through acting and improv. And I want to, I want to, I just, I just want, I just want everybody to be happy. <laughs> Back to everybody wanting to be happy. So what so what's not happy? I hate it. I yeah. hate sad things. Oh. I hate that. <laughs> you, oh my God, honey, you must be having, because this 2020 has been a shit year. So my poor friend, you must be going through it. Yeah, I mean, I just, I. It's around us right now. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I just, I hate that like people are losing their moms and their dads and their grandmas and, and they can't see their family and like, oh my God, I, I can't imagine. And then, yeah, I don't like, I don't like sad things ever, ever. Like even those sad things that are unnecessarily, sorry, Uh, see, even, even I say it, even those sad things that happen with every life I hate it I I have a big hatred towards sadness and people experiencing sadness mm-hmm. I hate that like I like like I um you know I have a friend who lost her mom and I wish that I could just take that away I wish I can get it just if I could literally pull if it was a tangible something I could grab and pull it out of her so mm-hmm. she wouldn't have to feel that sadness but then again you know that's going to happen to everyone right. everyone is gonna feel that loss and, and what would um, happen to your what would happen to your ability to make people laugh if they didn't have that sadness what would happen if they didn't have that sadness how would that impact your ability to make somebody laugh I think I would still be able to do it yeah. Yeah. Because then I could, I could do something where w- relatable content with the silly things that happen to everybody, you know, like the annoyances and the, I would still be able to get there. I think yeah. if that sadness wasn't there, yeah, I just, I feel a lot of empathy uh-huh. always. And, um, yeah, I'm always in tune to how other people are feeling and if they're sad or angry uh-huh. I want to make it stop wow it's interesting yeah. that you because you again just talking with you how you are uh, such a huge empath someone else I had interviewed had said comedy was drama without the empathy Ooh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm curious again, going back to like, again, have being the fact that you are, you know, so well-versed in characters. I wonder if that is because you are such an empath. Is that where you are striving for that ultimate connection and healing the ability to heal people? Yeah. Wow. Fuck. This is like, <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Yes. Affirmative. 
Oh, we love empaths in the world. We need more empaths in the world. It, to me, it just feels like I've come full circle with you because, again, thinking about the first time I really talked with you, that was exactly the energy you gave out. Yeah. It was like, yeah, it was 100%. Like I said, it just... Because sometimes I feel like for me, comedy is very isolating and very lonely. So when I have these encounters with people, you know, I really, again, it just like, it just sears a vision in my brain. And so it now, it like, I feel like it makes sense. Like you just have that big heart, but it's really hard too, because then it's, you feel everybody's pain. Yeah. Oh, I need somebody to hug right now. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> you really got to the uh, wow, Deanna. This this is incredible. Oh my, I'm so happy that you again agreed to like sit down and let me talk to you. And I really appreciate you so much. And I hope I wasn't because again, I do have no filter, and I I try. And oh, really what? No, oh, no. Okay. So I'm so grateful to you that you engaged fully in my like. In my playpen, because this is like I said, I love it so much. I'm learning so much from everybody I'm talking to. And I'm so thankful that you, again, would do it. I am incredibly thankful. This taught me a lot about who I am as a person, as well as a performer. Like, wow, this really, I have learned many things. I can't wait to listen to this and have my mind blown again. <laughs> Can you do me a favor? Will you plug your social media and everyone where we can find and look for, you know, any upcoming projects you have? Yes, absolutely. So you can find me, uh, Angelique underscore the underscore great. That's my Instagram. There you will find links to Gail and Angela, where their performances are. You'll find links to shows I'm producing. You'll find links to classes I'm teaching and all the fun stuff that I'm doing as a totally not vulnerable, happy person, completely centered. Totally. <laughs> Balance is my thing. <laughs> Oh my God. I can't wait though. I definitely want to take an improv class with you. Oh, please. Yeah. I would love it. You would be so great. Oh, it you would so, be so great. So much fun. And like I said, just you as a teacher, like again, you definitely, from the first time I've met you, gave off the aura of being so wise. So I know I had, could learn so much more from you. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. Yeah. You are. You you are like super duper wise. You're like an oracle of feelings. And like, I, and I think it goes back to your point of women, though. I think this is what we need right now, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And let me just reiterate do you see what happens when women are in charge? Do you see? Yes. <laughs> so look for her 2024, Angelique. We're going to have you on the ticket. <laughs> That would be the most fun ever. And that's what we need right now is more fun. And we're so, again, I'm really thankful that you could talk with me and share all of your awesome insight. And we look forward to seeing you again. Deanna, thank you so much. <laughs>